All right, Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, son of Azarius, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So understand Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, the rest of the Jews, they've been carried into captivity and Daniel is reading this from Babylon. They were carried into captivity in Babylon. He's reading this from Babylon. Jerusalem's been destroyed. The wall's been torn down. The temple's been torn down. Nebuchadnezzar came in and destroyed it because God told him, I'm going to come in and destroy it the way y'all acted. And so Jeremiah, uh, Daniel, he's over in Babylon. He starts studying the book of Jeremiah. He starts studying. It says book, books, plural there. So he's studying those books, and he's realizing that God, in, in 70 years, he's about to come back, and he's about to do something with, with uh with Israel. So when he knows that, now he knows God's going to do something. And y'all are just like Daniel. Y'all are sitting in America, and y'all know God's going to do something with America. He, you know God's going to do something. Jesus Christ has come back. Look what he does in verse 3. And I set my face unto the, unto the Lord to seek by prayer and supplication, supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to keep them and to them that keep his commandments. Verse 5, we have sinned. This is the great national prayer that Daniel's going to give up for the nation of Israel. He's going to pray for himself, for the nation of Israel, for the Jewish people. He's going to pray to God. This is a great prayer we can pray for America. It's a repentant prayer. And he says, and we have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. This is, this is a great prayer. I don't have time to go through it this morning, but go home and read it sometime if you have never read it. It's a great prayer how to pray to God for repentance and to get, thing, get prayers answered. So skip down to verse 20. So he says this amazing prayer down into verse 20, Daniel chapter 9, verse 20. And whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, there's the angel Gabriel, he's appearance of a man, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. He's going to help Daniel to understand what the future holds. And guys, Daniel wrote it down so we can look at it and we can understand what the future holds. This is amazing. Verse 23. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee. For thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Now here we go. This is Daniel's 70 weeks. Let's read this together. This is what we're going to focus on this morning. 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end to sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks. 
and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous time. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with the flood. And unto the end of the war desolations are determined. Verse 27. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate. Even unto the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Wow, there's a lot in there. You're like, whoa, there's a lot in there. Well, we're going to go back up to verse 24, and that's where we're going to start. And we're going to start at verse 24. And Lord willing, we're going to look at Daniel's 70 weeks and how God has appointed to the Jewish people 70 weeks. He's going to deal with them, and then that's it. That's it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, Lord, you know I'm just stupid. I'm ignorant, Lord God, and I need your Holy Spirit to lead me, to guide me, Father, to teach me, Lord God. And I pray, Father, that as we open up your book, Lord God, as we open this amazing book of Daniel, Father, you'd make it real to us, Lord. Help us to understand it, Lord. Uh, there's some math in here, Lord God, that we're going to have to do this morning. And Father, we do pray and thank you, Father, for the wisdom you do give us. And, Lord, we thank you for your leading and your guiding through your Holy Spirit, Father. And, Lord, I pray, Father, that there's somebody in the sound of my voice that has always been cold toward Jesus Christ. They don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Father. I pray, Lord God, as they hear this truth of the prophecy of the future foretold, Lord God, that it would shake them up, it would wake them up, Lord God. They would investigate it for themselves to see if it's true or not, Lord God. And I know what they will find, Lord. I know they'll find it to be true, just like I did, Lord God, and they'll fall down. I pray that they'll fall down on their knees. And they'll take you as their Lord and Savior. Thank you for Jesus Christ, Lord. Thank you for the promises we have in Jesus Christ, Lord. And I pray a special blessing to these people, Lord, that come out this morning. They want to hear from you, Lord. And I pray, Father, I'd be like holy manna come down for them, Lord God, and defeat them. In Jesus Christ's holy name I pray. Amen. All right, verse 24. Let's get into this. This is the future foretold. These verses right here, brothers and sisters, these are the verses that have kept some men and women from believing that Daniel was written 500 B.C. you got scholars that will say Daniel was written about the time of Christ or after the time of Christ. You say, why did they think that, Pastor? They think that because this is just too accurate. There's too much in this book of Daniel that's too much prophecy that's foretold that you got to say either it's prophecy that came true, which is amazing, or I don't believe it. You say, well, what's their evidence? They have no evidence of putting that writing way up there at Christ's time. The only evidence they have is in their mind that they don't want to believe it. But here it is. And all the archaeological evidence, everything points that Daniel was written 500 years before Christ was born. And this is what he was told by an angel. And he wrote it down. Verse 24. Let's break it down. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Seventy weeks. Weeks. Now, in Scripture, a week is seven. Seven days. The number seven. So he's saying 70 sevens is what he's saying. Now, every day equals a year. Now, you'll find, now I don't have time to turn to it, but if you're interested in studying this out yourself, let me give you some verses. If you want to write it down, Genesis 29, 27. Remember, that's where they're trying to, he's, trying to, he's trying to work for Rachel's hand, and he said every, every day is going to be a year. Numbers 14, 34. Ezekiel chapter 4, verse 6. Write those down, study them out. That shows you that in Scripture, a day can equal a year. So you have 70 weeks. 
A week is sevens. Now, here's what's interesting about a week. A lot of atheists don't like to hear this. They don't like to hear this, but this is the truth. We know what a day is, amen? We know what a day is because it's solar. Sun comes up, sun goes down. Pretty easy to understand. That's a day. We know what a month is. We know a month by the moon, lunar. We have no scientific way to determine what a week is. You know how we know what a week is? Because the Lord God Jehovah said, seven days is a week, and you're going to rest on the seventh day. <laughs> That's it. So every, everybody in the world, everybody all over America, they have a seven-day week. You know why they have a seven-day week? Because God gave it to man. It's, man. it's created by God, given to man, and there's no other explanation but that. There's no other explanation but that. That that's the only way we know what a seven-day period is, which is a week. We know that's a week. Why? We have no scientific way to measure that. We just know that because God told us that. So you have every week, every day is a year. So you have 70 weeks or 70 times 7 would be 490. So what he's saying is there's 70 weeks or, or 490 years that's appointed to Israel and to its people. That's what he's saying. Now this number, does that number ring a bell to y'all that read your Bible 70 times 7? Does that number ring a bell to you? Okay, Peter goes to Jesus Christ. Peter says, hey, Lord, how many times am I supposed to forgive my brother? Seven times? And then on the eighth time I can hate his guts? I'm adding that in there, but that's what I would have said. Peter says, do I have to forgive seven times? Seven? And Jesus Christ says, no, but I tell you, 70 times seven. That's what Christ told him. Well, that's exactly what's determined upon the Jewish people. 490 years. Now, I don't have time to go into it this morning, but what Daniel was studying in uh, a chapter of verse 1 about the 70 years that are determined upon the, then they'll get to go back to Jerusalem. That's all tied to the land, and that's 490. And we don't have time to do that, but it's all tied to the land of Israel. But this 70 times 7 is 490 years. So let me go ahead and write that down while we're talking about it. So you got Daniel's 70 weeks, and we're, we're going to go ahead and write that down. So that's 70 times 7. So what, he, what the angel Gabriel says is that there's 70 weeks. And what does it say there in verse 24? He says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Now remember, Daniel started this prayer out for Israel and for the Jew. So Daniel has, Gabriel comes to him and Gabriel says, this 70 weeks is determined for the Jew and for the holy city. That's Jerusalem. This isn't for me and you. This isn't for Christians. This isn't for Gentiles. This is God dealing with his holy people, his chosen people, the Jew. It's determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. What's it going to do? So it's seven, there's a sevenfold purpose here. The first purpose is, is for the people of the Jews and the holy city. Upon thy people and upon thy holy city. So verse 24, let's study this together real quick. Verse 24, there's a sevenfold purpose for Daniel's 70 weeks. First one is, thy people upon thy holy city. Of course, that's the Jews in Jerusalem. Second one, to finish the transgression. That's the transgression that started in the Garden of Eden. When they took the fruit, that's what that is. And to make an end of sins. That's at Calvary. That's the second coming. I mean, that's the second coming of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ comes that second time and he comes to rule and reign over this earth, sin's going to be done away with. That's what this is to do. To make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity. That's Calvary. That's the, that's the cross. 
That's when the reconciliation for iniquity took place. So all the 70 weeks determined on Israel, you're seeing it's about Christ. It's about bringing in the Christ. It's about God making it right with his people, making it right with the world, and straightening this mess out that started in Eden, and to bring in everlasting righteousness. When are we going to have everlasting righteousness? In the millennial kingdom. And to seal up the vision and the prophecy. To seal up the vision and prophecy. What does that mean? That means there's going to come a time, no more visions, no more prophecy. Why? You don't say, thus saith the Lord. Because the Lord's right there sitting on the throne. <laughs> it's Jesus Christ right there. You don't have to say, thus saith the Lord. You say, don't say that. There he is right there. There's no need for prophecy. There's no need for visions. He's right there, God Almighty. Right there. It'll finish all this off. And then lastly, and to anoint the most holy. There's two ways of looking at that. Most people think it's anoint the most holy would be Jesus Christ. Give him his proper place. Or that could be the holy of holies, the most holy, the temple. The, the temple could be either one. You're talking about the same thing, really, in actuality. That's what this 70 weeks is determined to do. So let's break it down a little bit more. Verse 25. Know therefore and understand. Okay, this is where we've got to know it. We've got to understand it. This is where it gets a little complicated. That from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks. A seven times seven. And then it says, and three score and two weeks. A score is 20. So when it, when, when it says three score, that would be three times 20. 60 and two, so you got 62 weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. Turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. Keep your hand here, but turn to Nehemiah. We've got to go to Nehemiah to understand what, what this is. So this is a prophecy that in that this time, that there's going to be a commandment given forth to go rebuild Jerusalem. Now remember, when Daniel's writing this down, Jerusalem's destroyed. It's a wasteland. There's no wall. There's no temple. God sent Nebuchadnezzar in there, and he wiped it out. And he took the captives back to, to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar took them back to Babylon. So when Daniel's writing this, none of this has took place. But in Nehemiah chapter 2, this is what happens. And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Okay, let's stop there. You see there it says in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes. You know how when we read our Bible, we read over that, and it's so boring? That's very, very important when you study that out, because that's going to give you dates of when all this took place. So Nehemiah is the cupbearer for the king, and he's in the presence of the king, and he's sad. King Artaxerxes, and he has a sad look on his face. You know, he's kind of frowning. He kind of looks down. Verse 2, Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid, Nehemiah says. What does that mean? You don't go before a king sad. You gotta understand, this king can have your head cut off. This king does what he wants. If he don't like you, he said, cut his head off. I don't like him. And it happened all the time in Scripture. The point is, when Nehemiah is found out, he says, hey, why are you sad? Nehemiah's like afraid. He's like, uh-oh. 
Because the, the king says, I know you. You're not sick. Something's bothering you. And he's afraid because he's like, oh, no, I'm about to get my head cut off. Because you you're supposed to go before the king and be smiling and happy and joyful. You don't bring the king down. If you bring the king down, he gets mad at you. Off with your head. I know some of y'all are like that. I'm like that too. Sometimes I want to say off with their head, but we can't, it won't happen, you know. Verse 3, and, said unto, and this is what he said unto the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, that's Jerusalem, the place of my father's sepulchers lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire. He says, my hometown, Jerusalem's burned down. Why shouldn't I be sad? Then the king said unto me, for what dost thou make, make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. So the king of Xerxes says, what do you want then? And right then, Nehemiah, it says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, guys, you got to realize what's going on here. He didn't say, hey, hold on a second, king, let me get down on my knees. God, dear heavenly father, I come to you. He didn't have time to do that. He says, so I pray. It's an instant. Have y'all ever prayed without somebody knowing you're praying? Happens up here all the time. Well, you're praying, and you just instantly, like, oh, hey, Lord, take care of this. And you're in your mind, you're thinking, that's what he does. And I said unto the king, if it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build it. Now, this is, okay, Daniel, you're looking at your Bible, and you say, well, Daniel's way over here to the right, and Nehemiah's way over here to the left. Yeah, but the way our Bible's assembled, it's not chronological. Our Bible's not assembled chronologically. You've got the prophets, you've got the minor prophets, those are put at the back of the Old Testament. You've got history, you've got, jo you got, uh, you got the poet poetic, poetic books, which would be like Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, those are put together. And then they put together the history books, which would be Genesis, Exodus, and then 1 Kings, 2 Kings, all through. And that's what you're reading. You're reading a history book. And so this is actually, even though this book is before Daniel in your Bible, historically it takes place after what you're reading in Daniel 9. Everybody understand that? Okay? So what you're reading here is after what you read in Daniel 9 where it prophesied that, hey, and that's, that there's going to, the wall's going to be built in troublous times. And it's going to be, there's going to be a decree sent out. Verse 6, And the king said unto me, The queen also sitting by him, for how long shall thy journey be? And when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. The king's going to let it happen. Guys, did you just see what was in that parenthesis right there? The queen also sitting by him. Who is that? Why would the Bible all of a sudden just mention the queen out of, that, out of nowhere? This more than likely, this Artaxerxes is the Artaxerxes of the book of Esther. Y'all read the book of Esther? Book of Esther is the story where the king, uh, the king uh, Artaxerxes, he calls him in and he says, I want my queen to come in. And the, the Gentile queen, she won't come into the feast. So he gets mad. And he says, you know what? I want to get me a new queen. So they send out to all the region. They said, bring me in all the beautiful maidens. I want to pick me out one of these beautiful women in all the kingdom to be my new queen. Because my old queen, that Gentile bride, she was sorry and no good. Bring me in somebody good. And here comes Esther. Beautiful. Beautiful. And he picks her above all the other beautiful women. He picks her. He, she's chosen. But guess what her problem is? She's a Jew. And... Uh, 
Hammond does not like the Jews. He goes out and he tries to kill her. He, and Mordecai tries to help him out. Tries to kill the Jews. Tries to kill her. She saves the day. She, she saves her people. All the Jews are saved. She becomes queen. And here it is mentioned. She's sitting right next to him probably. That's God's hand, brothers and sisters. Working to get done what he wants done in history. Verse 7, More of I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given to me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey with me over till I come into Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's force, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appertain to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. He gives God the glory. He says, man, God's hand was on me. And the king says, here, take this. Go get, this, this, get some wood from the forest. Go get some of this. Here's all kinds. Y'all, go build the wall. Go build. This is amazing. Israel's becoming a nation again. And that's what was prophesied was going to happen in Daniel chapter 9. Now go back to Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Let's study this. Verse 25. Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. Know therefore and understand... That from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem. You just read it. Nehemiah 2. That's prophecy being fulfilled in your Bible. Unto the Messiah. That's Jesus Christ, obviously. The prince shall be seven weeks. Then it says, and three score and two weeks. Let's look at this. So you got, you got to write this. That's why I have this out. I wanted to, I wanted to put this out right here. So you got, you got uh, Artaxerxes, Artaxerxes, hope I spelled that right. He gives a commandment, and it says seven times seven. Doesn't it say seven weeks there? It'd be seven weeks, and then three score and two weeks. It says seven weeks, and then it stops there for some reason. And then it says three score and two weeks, which gives you 62 weeks. So he says seven and seven weeks, seven times seven. He says there, until the Messiah, the prince should be seven weeks, seven times seven. So you got seven times seven. You got 49. And then he says there, he says there after that, he says uh, at the seven weeks. And then he says, and, and three score and two weeks, three score and two weeks, which would be 434 years. So the commandment is there. He gives the commandment there. Until the Messiah, the Prince, come. Who's the Messiah, the Prince? We know that to be Christ. So I'm going to draw Christ. And I always try to draw three crosses. Because that represents, one of, the cross, one of the crosses represents us. The other cross represents the lost man that won't take Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I'm hoping you're the one that takes Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So he says 7 times 7 is 49, 62 times 7 is 434. So there you put those numbers together and you're going to have 483. 483. But seven times, 70 times 7 is 490. So what's happening here, if you take 49 years from the building of Ezra and Nehemiah, you take 49 years, what you will get is the end of the Old Testament. Well, if you know anything about your Bible, at the end of the Old Testament, which is Malachi, there's 400 years of silence. 
No prophecy, no prophets, nobody's talking, nobody, nobody, God's not doing anything. But Jerusalem is there, and the city of Jews are there, and then guess what happens in 4 B.C.? Christ shows up. 400 years later. So what, what that's signifying, that 7 times 7, 49, that 49 years, that would signify the end of the Old Testament, and that's about how long it took them to rebuild. So when you read the book of Nehemiah, they're rebuilding the temple, they're rebuilding the walls, they're trying to get things settled up, they're getting the Jews back in Jerusalem, they're doing all these things to try to get God's people back to Jerusalem. And what happens in Nehemiah is when they start rebuilding it, guess who opposes them? The Arabs. And guess what happens when they finally get it all built? Guess what the Arabs do? I'm not saying the Bible, the Bible says Arabs. Guess what the Arabs do? When they get it all built, all of it's built, and it looks like they're prospering, guess what the Arabs come up and do? We want to have peace. Let's have a peace treaty. Brothers and sisters, what you have going on here in Nehemiah, and you just read it, and you can read it in Ezra, what you have going on here is what happened in 1948. Look at this. And to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks, and threescore and two weeks, the streets shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. That right there is all Nehemiah. That's Nehemiah being rebuilt. The book of Nehemiah, Jerusalem being rebuilt, Israel coming back, all of that's verse 25. So continue to verse 26. And after three score and two weeks, at the end of that chart right there I just drew, what's it say? After three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. That's a crucifixion. So Daniel's writing, Daniel's writing this, he's writing this, he's writing this around 530 probably around 530 B.C. Christ is cut off around 30 A.D. This is given around 445 B.C., around that time. So what you have going on here is he's writing this 100 years, almost 200 years before the rebuilding of Jerusalem takes place. And when that, that takes place, it's another... 400-something years before Christ comes and gets crucified. But what's amazing about that, when you, it's 70 times 7, it gives you the years, 49. you got 434 years, you add those together. And what's amazing, if you're interested in this stuff, get the book by Clarence Larkin called The Book of Daniel. He's got, it's got all this incredible math. These guys, 10 times, 100 times smarter than me, they got it all figured out. What's amazing is they take it to the date. That prophecy to the date has the... Has the that one that Nisan and all that that I showed you at the beginning of Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 1. It takes that date and brings it and it brings it to the date that Christ comes in and the triumphal entry when he comes in on a donkey as a king. It takes it from there all the way right there to the date. It's amazing these guys have it all figured out. That's amazing prophecy. That's your book. And you read this stuff, and we're reading it, and see, we read it, and we know, oh yeah, Christ gets crucified. But you're, you, you got to understand, he's writing this 500 years before Christ is born. America hasn't been a nation for 300 years. 
Do you understand the, the context of how long that is? A half a thousand years he's writing. There's going to come a time, and it'll be about this many years, and it'll be Messiah. And it's not Daniel. Daniel's writing what Gabriel's telling him that God told him. Praise the Lord. It's right there, guys. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So when Christ is crucified, what happens? Well, when Christ is crucified, right after he's crucified, right in here, within 40 years, Jerusalem is destroyed by Titus. And the walls of Jerusalem are destroyed. The temple is destroyed. If you look at it today, it's, it's got a flat temple up there. Flat, it was flat on top of that. Titus came in, and that's exactly what the Bible just said was going to happen. And the people, it says there, but not for himself. Messiah's cut off, not for himself. Middle of verse 26. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. That's exactly what they did. So Jerusalem gets rebuilt. And then 483 years later, it gets destroyed again. After the Messiah is cut off. Not, but not for himself. Jesus didn't want to be crucified. They crucified him. He's cut off not for himself. He's going to be the king. They said, we don't want you as the king. Caesar's our king. They cut him off. God comes in and destroys him, just like he says there. But notice it says, and the people of the prince that, excuse me, that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Who destroyed the city and the sanctuary? The Romans. Middle of verse 26. And the people, the Romans, of the prince that shall come. Brothers and sisters, that's the Antichrist. See that prince? That prince is the Antichrist. The prince of the powers of the air. Jesus Christ said in John 16, he said, the prince of this world, talking about Satan. This is not the same prince. Look, look up at verse 25. See verse 25? Look what it says, unto the Messiah, the Prince, capital P. You see that? This is a different prince, lowercase p, verse 26. This is the Antichrist. And just hang in there and you'll see what he's about to do. So what does that tell you? The Antichrist is going to be associated with Rome. Now that you know for 2,000 years Christians have said the Antichrist is going to be a Catholic. The Antichrist is going to be Roman Catholic. The Antichrist is going to be Roman Catholic. The Antichrist is going to be Roman Catholic. And people are like, y'all are crazy, y'all are crazy. That's because we're saying that because that's what the Bible teaches. That's what the Bible says. Now hang in there with me. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with the flood. That's Revelation 12, and that flood's given out. And unto the end of the war... Desolations are determined. That's battle Armageddon. That's the end of it, period. Finale, verse 27. And he, who's the he there? The Antichrist. Shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Let's stop there. So I wrote all these numbers down. I know it might be kind of confusing to you, but basically what you've got going on here, it, you just need to realize this. The, all the prophecy came to pass just like God said it would. Seven times seven, 62 times seven, landed it on the date. They got, these guys get it down to on the date. Even if you don't believe in the date, you've got to say that's amazing that, they were able to, that God was able to prophesy in Daniel down to almost the very year. Even if you don't believe the dates, it's right there. But the truth is this. God says, how many weeks are determined upon Jews, on the Jews in Jerusalem? Seventy. We're seven short. 
We only have 483 years. We're supposed to have 490. So God's got one more week left to deal with the Jews. If you go by the book of Daniel by Clarence Larkin, what's amazing about it is he wrote that book in 1920, 1921. And he said in his book, he said, the Jew has to come back to the land. They have to come back to the land. At that time, the Jew was not in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was run down by Gentiles. There was, no, there was nothing. The Jews were nowhere near the land. And he said, the Jew must come back to the land. In 1921, he said that. You know what happened in 1948? Truman voted, with the help of Truman, the United Nations voted Israel in as a nation in one day. You know what the Bible says in Isaiah 66? It says, who's heard of a nation being born at once? <laughs> it's a prophecy. Nobody's heard of it. A nation's not born at once. It was one time, the nation of Israel, 1948. Boom. And all of a sudden, you know what that meant to every Christian that knew their Bible? Uh-oh. God's about to start working with the Jew again. Because what you're going to see here, it says, And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause a sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate, even unto the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. There's one week left, and then it's done. Remember what this 70 weeks does? We just read it together in verse 24. This 70 weeks is going to finish it all. It's going to bring an end to iniquity. It's going to bring an end to all this mess that started in the Garden of Eden. And we'll wait for the end of that 70 weeks. And God says, i got seven years left to deal with them. So whenever you see Israel become a nation in 1948, that's when you need to start packing your bags and say, okay, here we go. God's about to do something. Because what did Jesus Christ say when he's prophesying about the end times? He says, when the fullness of the Gentiles come be fulfilled, then the Jew. You, you, you're living in a time, guys, where some of y'all, y'all only know that Israel's a nation. Y'all only know Israel as being powerful. And we get some of our greatest medicine from Israel. Some of our greatest weaponry advancements come from Israel. All of the, all of the top geniuses are coming out. Y'all know Israel as a nation. It's a bird of some stone. It's everything the Bible said it would be. But you've got to re realize that didn't take place until after 1948. Before 1948, it was flat. Nobody cared about Jerusalem. They were trying to go back, but they couldn't go back. And every time the Jew would say, we want to go back to our homeland, they would, the, the, uh, England, who owned the land at the time, who con had controlled it, England said, yeah, we'll, the Belfort Declaration, we'll work something out for you in 1920. We'll work something out for you. We'll try to see if we can get you back. And it never happened. And Winston Churchill turned his back on the Jew, and you saw what happened to the United, to the, uh, United Kingdom. In World War II, Winston Churchill and all of them in, in England, they knew what was going on with the Jews in the concentration camps, and they didn't do nothing to stop it. When World War II started, what did the, what did the world say about England? The sun never sets on the British Empire. They controlled, they controlled parts of all of the world. And by the end of World War II, when God got done with them, they're a third-rate nation right now. It's China and America and India and Russia. And nobody even thinks about the UK. Because God says, I'm going to put the sun down on you. Because you turned your back on my people. 
And you know what America did with the help of Truman, who should have not have been in office, but the president before him who didn't like Israel and didn't want to vote him in? You know what happened to that president, Roosevelt? You know what happened to him? <clears throat> Died of a heart attack. And, who, and here comes this old guy from Missouri. <laughs> old Truman, nobody liked him. <laughs> but he had a friend, a really, really good friend that was a Jew. And that good friend would come into his office and say, hey, we want our land back. We want, we got to get, the, my, the Jew has been in concentration camps. They've been killing us by the millions. We want to go somewhere where we'll feel at home. The Germans don't want us. The Polish don't want us. The Americans don't want us. The British don't want us. We want to go home to our land. Give us back our land. Give us back our home. And they cried and they weeped and they got on ships and they were out in the ocean and they said, we're not going back anywhere but to Israel. We're going back home. And God's hand started moving on the world. And here's this old Missouri boy named Truman over there. <laughs> and they said, don't do it. It's, it. It'll turn all the Iranians and all the Arab, Arabians against us, the oil. They'll never sell oil to us again. They'll hate you for life. They'll hate you. And there's old Truman said, no, I think I'm going to vote for that. I think we should vote for that. And they all went against Truman. And Truman said, vote it in. And then they went in that way in May 1948. They went into the United Nations and they took a vote. And because America pushed that, boom. God's time clock went, whoop, started back up. And now here comes all of them from all the known world, just like the Bible says. So here they come back to Israel. And the Bible says, there's going to come a time he, the Antichrist, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. How long is the tribulation period in the book of Revelation? Seven years, a week. But it says, and in the midst of the week, three and a half years, 42 months, 1260 days. That's what the Bible says all through Revelation. In the midst of the week, he shall cause a sacrifice and oblation to cease. This old wicked antichrist, he rises up, and there has to be a third temple. And that's what the Jews have been doing from 1948 to right here. They've been trying to get the third, third temple rebuilt. They've been doing everything to do to get the third temple rebuilt. And they got it all ready. They can get that third temple rebuilt in 24 hours, guys. They got all the stuff. They got everything they need. They found a Levitical line. They're ready to start sacrificing to God if they can just get that third temple rebuilt. They need that temple rebuilt. And that's what everybody's, guess what's happening? The Muslims up there right now. And they won't let them up there. I mean, it almost happened in 67. They took the Temple Mount. They had it. Six-day war, miracle of miracles. They, they won it. They had it. And then they backed down a little. They backed down. They were up there blowing the trumpets, trying to get God to come back. God's people, that's what you need to be watching. Because God says, I've determined all this on your people, Daniel. Israel. And I, there's going to be a guy come in. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. It's peace, peace, peace. Turn to Daniel chapter, turn to Daniel chapter 8. It's all peace. Let's look at the Antichrist real quick. It's all peace. Hey, peace, peace. He wants to bring in peace. And it's the prophecy of the Antichrist. Daniel chapter 8, verse 9. Daniel chapter 8, verse 9. And out of one of them, and out of one of them came forth the little horn, which waxed exceedingly great toward the south and toward the east and toward the pleasant land. And it waxed great even to the host of heaven. And it cast down some of the hosts of the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. The Antichrist, it, that's a war breaks out in heaven there in verse 10. Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host. That would be Christ. And by him the daily sacrifice was taken away. There has to be a third temple rebuilt. 
There has to be. That's why everybody's searching for the Ark of the Covenant. You want to see some more prophecy on this Antichrist? Look at verse 23, same chapter, chapter 8, verse 23. And we're closing up. Chapter 8, verse 23. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have come to the full, a king of fierce countenance, Antichrist, and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. Remember that stand up right there. And his power might be, his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully and shall prosper and practice and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. That would be the Jews, the holy people. Look at this in verse 25. And through his policy. <laughs> this old archaic King James Bible. Who reads this old archaic King James Bible? I don't understand what it says. You don't know about politicians and their policies? It says right there the Antichrist is going to have policy. Also, he shall cause craft to prosper. Going to make a lot of money in his hand. He shall magnify himself in his heart. And by peace shall destroy many. Peace, peace, peace. We've got to have a peace accord. Let's get together. Every president, every president from 1948, from Truman all the way here, has been trying to get peace in the Middle East. And there is no peace. And they can't make peace. That's one of the only things Obama said he didn't get done. He wanted done. Obama said, the only thing I regret not getting done, I got the homosexual, the gay marriages in, I got the, I got, uh, the Obamacare in, I got to do everything I wanted to do, but one thing. And they said, what was that? I didn't get peace in the Middle East. But there will come a guy that does. He's the Antichrist. Look at Daniel chapter 11. And man, when he comes in... And he, he causes the, gives them peace. They're all like, oh, it's peace. Oh, this guy, he's so good. Oh, we love him so much. Oh, he's, he's so wonderful. And he's going to be wicked, wicked, wicked. Verse 36. Daniel 11, verse 36. And the king shall do according to his will. And he exalt himself and magnify himself above every god. And shall speak marvelous things against the God of gods. And shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished. For that that is determined shall be done. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers. He's going to be a Jew. At least half Jew. Nor the desire of women. Might be a homosexual. Nor regard any God. For he shall magnify himself above all. But in his estate shall he honor the God of forces. May the force be with you. And a God whom his fathers knew not shall he honor with gold and silver and precious stones and pleasant things. Verse 39, thus shall he do in the most strongholds with a strange God, Allah, whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory. He shall cause him to rule over many and shall divide the land for gain. Underline that. That's what they've been doing for policy to try to get peace in the Middle East from the very beginning. Well, let's give them this land. Let's give them the, let's give them the West Bank. Let's give them the Golden Heights. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's, let's, do let's, let's give them land. Give them land. Give them land. That's what the Antichrist is going to do. The land for gain. Now, remember he said the abomination that maketh desolate. I'm going to finish in Matthew chapter 24 with what Christ said. Well, I always try to finish with what Christ said. Matthew 24. So, Israel's got one more week left, and we're waiting for that, and it's about to start, and it should wake you up if you don't know Jesus Christ as your holy, as your Lord and Savior. Look at verse, uh, Matthew chapter 24, Christ talking about the end times, talking about what it's going to be when the world comes to an end. 
Look at verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Christ says this. Jesus says, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Y'all just read it with me. Christ says, Stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. The, cry, the Antichrist comes in. He helps get that third temple rebuilt. He brings in peace. He gets a third temple rebuilt. And then according to Revelation 13, he gets assassinated. Takes a daily head wound. He's laid out. He's dead. He's dead to the world. The false prophet's there. And then all of a sudden, up rises that old Antichrist. Make an image. Look how holy he is. Look how great he is. Make an image to him. And that Antichrist rises up in that temple. And the Bible says the Antichrist says, Worship me, I'm God. And he sets up an abomination that makes it desolate. That abomination is that image to the Antichrist. Worship it or die. Off with your head. And Jesus Christ says, When you see that thing stand in the holy place, see that? It was sitting, and then all of a sudden it's going to stand. He says, verse 16, Then let him which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. This is all about Judea. This is all about Israel. Let, neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child. And then they give suck in those days. And look at verse 20. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. He's talking about Talking about flying out of there. Why not on the Sabbath day? Because in Israel, they don't fly planes on the Sabbath day. Prophecy. Foretold. But does, what does America do? Eh, I want to turn on the History Channel and watch them try to dig for gold on some old island or something. And there's prophecy. God warning you, it's going to come. It's going to come. And what's amazing, all, everything he said took place exactly to the date like he said it would take place, except for waiting for that very last verse when the Antichrist comes in and the Antichrist comes in and says, I'll make a covenant with you. And then halfway through it, he breaks it. That's what we're waiting on. Guys, we got an amazing book. And that's Daniel's 70th weeks. And we're waiting on that 70th week. That's what we're waiting on, the 70 weeks. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this will give you an opportunity to receive Him. If you need to get right with the Lord, come on down here and pray and get down on your knees. What are you going to do at the, at the altar? What's between you and the Lord? But I'm here to tell you, man, from studying this book for 20-odd years, it is time. Christ is coming. Any day now. It can happen tonight. And Christ, Jesus Christ is going to come. He's going to rapture everybody in this church that's saved. We're gone. We're leaving. We're going up. Well, glory to God. And the Bible says, Woe unto the inhabitants of the earth. For the devil's cast down, and he knows his time is short. Better get ready. Jesus is coming, but so is the Antichrist. I'm not worried about the Antichrist. But there's some people maybe that should be. Because if you don't know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, that's going to be your king. And you already read what he's going to be like. Fierce, dark sentences, cut your head off. Sounds like living in America today. They just haven't got to cut our heads off yet, have they? It's coming. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. 
If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you'd go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3, verse 16, and most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's an amazing verse, of course, talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on, on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it. And if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a savior right now. The same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13 he sums it up. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care upon him